Well, good morning. You can have a seat. As Zach said, my name is Cameron Patterson. I'm uh, on staff at Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm humbled and honored to be delivering God's word to you. Uh, I noticed a couple familiar faces uh, in the congregation, so not all strangers. Um, But the passage that I'm going to be preaching from this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5. So if you have a passage of God's word, go ahead and turn with me there. It's also printed in your bulletin. Um, I want to set some context for you before we dive in, because we're kind of entering into uh, a flow of uh, a letter that Paul is writing. And the first four verses, four chapters, excuse me, of Romans, I'm sure you're familiar, Paul has been talking about um, the fact that how, how everyone, Jew and Gentile, is a sinner in the sight of God and deserving of his wrath. But that God has made a way to be justified, to be righteous in his sight. And we talked about that in the the catechism question already in the service. To be moved from being an enemy of God to being a beloved child of God. And that way is not based on our performance or our good works. Rather, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Jesus that a person is declared righteous in God's sight. And then he uses uh, Abraham as an example of that in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, there is a shift. And you'll notice that key word there, the very first word, therefore. So Paul talks to the church in Rome, and he's addressing us this morning, and he's talking about what now? What then, after you are declared righteous in God's sight by faith alone, by the grace of God alone, in Christ alone, what then? What is the life, uh, what is the benefit of that to our current lives? What does that have to do with us right now? Um, and the present life of the, of the Christian, the Christian life. So um, I'm going to read from God's word. So if you would stand with me as I read the word of the Lord. From Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You can be seated. Let me pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help as we study his word. Lord, we come to you thankful Grateful for your grace that has been poured out into our lives. Thankful for providing a way to be with you through Jesus Christ the Son. Through coming down, taking our sinful life, putting it to death on the cross, and offering a new way to life through his resurrection. We ask that you would Open our eyes to see your word. Holy Spirit, help me, help your servant. Hide me behind the cross. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. We're one week into a brand new year, 2023. Uh, And January is always an interesting time. There always seems to be so much expectation for the year ahead. Isn't there? Everyone comes into a new year with aspirations and dreams and hopes of what lies ahead. People set resolutions of what they want to accomplish in the next 12 months. Everyone seems to come in with hope for the future. Everyone uh, hopes that maybe this year it will be different than last year and better than last year. Maybe, just maybe, I'll finally get or have fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. Maybe life will finally work. Maybe my life will be better now, that I will have uh, what I want, that I will be my best self, live my best life. We all bring these hopes with us into a new year, whether we admit it or not. But that's not a bad thing. I think that we were designed by God to have hope, and to have hope for a better future, a better world. And I want us to think about, as Christians, what does our future hold for us? What can we expect life to look like in Christ? And is that at all related to what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross? And that's what I think Paul addresses here in Romans 5. He answers questions like, what does the gospel mean for my life now, now in 2023? Or what does the gospel mean for my life in the future? But he also answers questions like, uh, how about this one? Does God still love me? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you are a new Christian and you've ask this question yourself. Does God still love me and will he continue to love me this year? 
What about when I sin? Will he still love me then? When I fail again? Or what about when hard things happen? When I lose something or someone that I love? What if my hopes do not, for this life, do not pan out like I expect? This is what Paul talks about here in Romans 5. Talks about what, what is the life of one who has been joined to Christ by faith look like? even in times of difficulty, even when suffering comes. And we can't ignore suffering and hardship and disappointment because that's part of life. Sin has entered and ushered in death and suffering into our world, and we can't ignore it, and the Bible doesn't tell us to. But the tension or the problem for us, even as Christians, is that we don't always suffer well. We don't always handle hard times faithfully. So how should we think about suffering? How should we think about hard times? The, tempt, the temptation when hard times come is to doubt the love of God. Oftentimes, isn't it? To doubt that God loves me. Because if God truly loved me, then bad things wouldn't happen. Or at least that's what the popular Christian evangel, um, the um, really thin understanding of the Christian life that is uh, taught so much in America would have you think that bad things don't happen to good people. But that's not what scripture teaches us. The gospel tells a different story and it gives us uh, hope even. And it helps adjust our expectations for life in Jesus and what that means and what it looks like. So we learn from uh, Romans 5 a couple things that justification brings us, or a couple of the fruits or benefits for us. We learn that because of our justification, we can have assurance of the love of God for us now and in the future. And we can rejoice, actually. We can rejoice and have hope during suffering and difficult times. So those are my two points if you're taking notes to follow along. So first, let's look, how can we have assurance of God's love for us in the present and in the future? Well, first, it's because we have peace with God. Look at verse one with me. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. It's a present tense verb. And this peace with God that he's talking about is a result of our being justified by faith in Christ. What does peace with God mean? It means the relationship that once was marked by conflict and enmity is over with. The conflict is gone. There is a restored relationship the word peace doesn't also just mean the absence of conflict, but the presence of flourishing and wholeness. It's the state, it talks about the state in which the world was when God made it in the beginning. When God and man were not estranged, but they were friends and they walked together in the garden in a right relationship. The two that were alienated have been brought together again, God and man living together in a righteous relationship. Why? How? Well, it's because we have been justified by faith 
in Jesus. This means that it's because that Jesus on the cross took the warfare that our sins deserve, the conflict, the punishment of our sins. He took it on himself so that we could be reconciled to the Father, pardoned of our crimes and sins. He did this so that we could live again in the world as it was made to be, in a relationship with God, our Father, our Creator, as it was made to be. So that means that now, as a Christian, as a result of having been joined to Christ by faith, we experience a taste of what Eden was and what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. And we experience this in Christ. Our relationship with the Father is restored to what it was in the beginning, no longer enemies of God, but his beloved children. And so if you receive and rest upon Christ alone, that is what is true of your life right now. That is what is true of your relationship to our Heavenly Father. But we also can be assured of God's love for us because we have continual access to his grace. Look there again at verse one, or excuse me, verse two. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only, Paul says, not only has our relationship with God the Father been restored to a place of wholeness and where we can have life. But we have, in addition to that, continual access to the grace of God. And this grace helps us to stand and we remain in it. The word access has the sense of bringing near or introducing to things. And this is what Jesus does for us. By faith in Christ, we are ushered into the presence of God and we live and remain in the presence of God. And we have, again, another present tense, we have access to his abundant grace. And we are continually, now and in the future, able to draw upon the grace of God. Which means that those who are truly God's children can never and will never be turned away because of their present or future failings. If your access has been granted to you in Christ, the Father cannot turn away from the Son. And if you are in the Son, you are secure, and his grace is assured to you. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, in Christ, we are ushered into the royal throne room, and we stand, or we remain there. And so wherever we go in the world, we are always in the heavenly throne room. Through Christ, we are ushered in to God's presence and have access to his grace because we are his children. Think about uh, the relationship between a child and their parent. It's a very close relationship and the child has access to the parent's resources to meet their needs. If a, a child has a need, all they have to do is ask the parent because the parent loves them. And the parent has the resources to meet their need and to help them out. All the child has to do is ask. And we, who have been made sons and daughters of God through Jesus as a result, have access to the resources and the favor and the grace of our Heavenly Father. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, which one of you, if their child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will our Heavenly Father give to those who ask Him? We have access to His grace. And we have peace with God. We also can be assured and confident that God's in God's love for us now and in the future because we have the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse, um, verse 5. He says, Our hope does not put us to shame because the, Holy, we have, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to know that God loves you. The assurance that these things are true, that you do have peace with God, that we have access to his grace, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's a gift of God that he pours out to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So how can we confidently know that God loves us and will continue to love us and to continue to give us grace. So it's by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's one of his roles, is to convince you and to remind you, if you are a child of God, that God loves you. And what kind of love? How does God love us? And that's what Paul does and talks about in verses 6 through 11. He says, speaking of the love of God that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, what kind of love is that? Well, he says, it's the kind of love that loved you, that loved me, when we were ungodly, when we were enemies of God. When did Christ die for you? Well, it wasn't when you finally got yourself together. It wasn't when you finally obeyed enough or were sorry enough for your sins or when your resume met the status quo or met the, um, the, the standard. It wasn't when you were righteous, but when you were an enemy. So how much more will he continue to love you now that you are his child? How much more will he forgive you and continue his sanctifying work in your life now that you belong to him? If he loved you when you were ungodly and weak and his enemy, he will not abandon you now that you are his. He will not abandon you. And he will not abandon you down the road. On the day of hardship and suffering and death, when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, that does not have to be a day of fear, but a day of joy when we see our Savior and there will be grace for us then, just as there was grace for us when we first believed. So if you doubt the love of God for you, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you and convince you of that, because that is his job and that's what he loves to do. But God's love for us doesn't just assure us, or God's justification of us doesn't just assure us that we have peace, that we have access to his grace, both in the present and in the future, but it also enables us now to rejoice in suffering and hardship and have hope for a better future. So that's uh, point number two. Look at verses two through five again. 
God's love for us means that we can rejoice and even have hope. Sometimes hope is difficult to have, but we can have hope because of God's love for us, even in hard times. Verses two through five, uh, or verse three, he says, more than that, excuse me, verse two, through him we have access into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does it mean to rejoice? What types of, uh, how would you define that in your mind when you hear that word? Well, the, the Greek word, and some of you may have a footnote in your Bibles uh, that says, you could also translate this word as boast or boasting. So it, it, tip, it means more than what we typically think of when we say rejoice. When we say the English word rejoice, usually we have uh, an emotional type word or experience in mind. We think it means to be really happy, to be really grateful, and to have abounding joy. Um, but the Greek is really trying to get at something a little bit different here. Uh, it's something, uh, it could also be translated as to take pride in or to boast in something. So it's not necessarily an emotion, it's more of an attitude, a way of looking at the world a posture, a position that we take based on something that is guaranteed to us, that we are confident in. And so we are able to boast and to rejoice in that. So confidence is maybe another good way to think about that. When you're confident in something, uh, you have a little bit more strength. You're able to stand up and hold your head up a little bit. Uh, You're not ashamed, but you're confident in something. Paul has used this word already a couple times in uh, Romans, when he's addressing his Jewish audience in chapter 2, verse 23, uh, the Jews, he was in this, what he's saying in chapter 2, he's saying uh, the Jewish people were taking pride in the fact that they had been given the law. And so they thought that made them righteous in the sight of God because they had the law. Um, but Paul says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So he says you, you cannot have uh, you, no ground for boasting in the fact that you have the law. So it begs the question, if you're not made righteous by the law, if you're made righteous by uh, faith, Paul says in, in the next chapter, in chapter 3, what then becomes of our boasting? He says it's excluded by the law of faith. We cannot boast in our good works. Now that we are made righteous by faith in Christ... We can no longer boast in our performance. We can't boast in the law because we cannot keep it. Our good works do nothing to earn us favor in the sight of God. But rather, Paul says, now that we are in Christ, we can still boast, but we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, We don't boast in our own actions. We boast in Jesus and God's actions. We boast in the certainty of what he will do and in his character. And he actually turns our eyes now from the present, from looking at ourselves, to look into the future. That's what hope, hope is a future-oriented word by definition. Um, So he takes our eyes to look at the future 
to look for the grounds of our boasting and joy in the fact that God will be glorified. God will be glorified. Uh, To rejoice means that we take what we know then about the future and what God says about the future and we apply it to what is happening now. And Abraham is an example of that. You can look there in, in back in chapter four. But Paul talks about this again, and he, he kind of does this for us in chapter eight. He takes what he knows about the future and he applies it to his situation. Uh, Romans eight, verse 18 and 20, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We can rejoice that God will be glorified and we will share in that glory of his kingdom when it comes in fullness. But what is this hope? What does hope mean? It's not just wishful thinking. And it's not just a generalized kind of uh, wish for good things, that the good things are going to happen to us this year. Uh, One uh, pastor says it this way. He defines hope. He says, biblical hope is the capacity to see beyond appearances, to grasp what God is doing in the world. And faith is the courage to live today as if that future were already a reality, as if that future was already true. So biblical hope allows us to glimpse what God is doing, to see what God is doing in the world, even though it doesn't match up with our circumstances. And to rejoice and to see and imagine a world, what the world will be like when God's kingdom comes again. And that means we can rejoice even in hard times, in afflictions, Because our hope is not in our circumstances, but it's in God and his salvation. So we look forward to the final salvation when all things will be set right. When Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes and all of the sad things will come untrue and he will redeem the suffering that is in the world. And how can we rejoice in the suffering? Tribulation. That's what he talks about next. And I think the order here is important and intentional. Paul says first that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then after that, after our eyes have been set on God's glory and his glorious kingdom that is to come to us, then we can look at our present situation as hard as it is and we can boast and we can rejoice. Because we know that death and suffering are not the end of the story that life will come after death, that resurrection will come, that we will join as Christ was raised, so we will rise too. But there's also another reason Paul says that we can rejoice in suffering. In verse 3, he says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So he's saying, not only can we rejoice now because suffering is not the end of the story, but even now, suffering does something to us 
when met with faith, when viewed through faith and confidence in God's character, hope does, uh, suffering has a beneficial effect on our souls, and it is to produce in us endurance and character and ultimately more hope. Um, we actually can boast in suffering because of this. And this word sufferings could also be translated tribulations. Um, if you think of the great tribulation from Revelation, it's the same Greek word here, the great suffering. Um, these are troubles that inflict uh, distress or oppression from outside of us, outside circumstances. But how as a Christian, how should we think of suffering? We don't typically think it's a good thing. Um, we don't typically like it. I don't think anybody, any of us would uh, say on our own strength that we should rejoice in our sufferings. But Paul is, and the Holy Spirit is teaching us something about suffering here. And first, I think we can see that um, we can rejoice in suffering because as a Christian, we can know that it's not something that's coming into our lives from the anger of God or that God is punishing us, but rather that he is purifying us and that he is making us more and more into the image of Jesus, who was the suffering servant, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Paul is saying when he says we can rejoice in sufferings, he's not saying be happy about sufferings. If you look at the Psalms, more uh, often the Psalms, a majority of the Psalms, that is, are Psalms of lament. It's God's saints going through hard times and crying out, why, God? This hurts, why? But that's actually a function and an act of faith and hope to cry out to God, even in hard times, to grieve hard things and suffering is an act of faith when we take it to the Lord in prayer. Because we all have to fall back in hard times. We all fall back on something, some sort of truth or belief that we have, this anchor for our souls like we sang about. We all have these things that we fall back on. And what is that for us? As a Christian, we have Christ, the sure and steady anchor for our souls that in times of suffering, we can fall back and lean into him. <clears throat> and we know uh, we can fall back on the love, God's love and his promise that suffering is not God's punishment for us, but his design to work something good in our hearts. And we sang, um, this was God's providence. I didn't ask Zach to pick this song, but we sang it already. How firm a foundation. I think it's verse four. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Suffering and tribulations have this refining work on our, do this refining work on our hearts. And put us into the position where we must rely on God's grace. And to see our need and to see God's generosity and his willingness to step in and to meet our needs. And this produces more hope 
And it produces hope because it clears away anything that doesn't last. When you go through hard times, you start asking big questions about what is true, what has God promised us, what should we expect. And in times of difficulty, when we meet it with the eyes of faith, they have a way of solidifying in our hearts, in our minds, what is most true about us and about God. And it forces us to lean into the gospel, to lean into God's promises, to hope more and more for a better world. To hope more and more for a better world. A better world that is to come when Christ returns. Some of you maybe have heard this story uh, already, um, but I think there's a, a story of a man named Ben Ellis that kind of captures what this kind of confidence and boasting looks like. There was a, a school teacher in Tennessee named Ben Ellis, and Ben had been afflicted with terminal cancer from a young age. And his cancer eventually got to the point where he couldn't work anymore. And he taught at a Christian school, and um, one day they canceled classes, and almost 400 students and professors came and stood outside Ben's window, and they sang hymns and songs and worship songs, because Ben loved to sing and to worship. And they sang these songs outside his window where he could hear them. And Ben's former pastor had stopped by to see him and visit him. And in their conversation, Ben told his pastor that he had been praying to God uh, to give him a few more days. A few more days so that there would be more opportunities for the message of God's grace and love to be told to more people through his affliction. And when his pastor asked Ben if he had a message he wanted to tell the people, out, his students outside, he said this. He said, tell them it's all true. Tell them it's all true. That's confidence. That's boasting. That's rejoicing, even in suffering. To know that he knows that it's all true. And we can know it, and he can rejoice in it. We can know that it's true, and we can know that it's true. Because God loved us when we were his enemies, and he's not going to forsake us now. It's true that he's coming again to wipe away every tear, and to create a new world, to set things right, to come as the just judge and redeem all that sin and death have stolen. It's all true. So let us rejoice and boast in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your grace and your power in our lives. Help us to rejoice in your glory. Take our eyes off of our current situations to set our hope in you and in your character and in your word and in your promises to us. This does not come naturally to us and we need you to correct our vision. Help us to not see suffering and hardship as your anger, but as your tool to refine us. Help us, Holy Spirit, that we might proclaim the glory of your kingdom to a world around us that is watching us and going through suffering as well. May we be able to offer the hope that we have to hurting neighbors. Through Christ, amen.